It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll A get through it. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we have a uh, very eclectic and interesting show today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk to uh, a uh, uh, form, uh, former classic uh, classical music critic, for Time Magazine, Michael Walsh, but we're not going to talk about classical music. He's written a book called Last Stands, Why Men Fight When All is Lost. Apparently, he is interested in more than just classical music. And uh, a very interesting subject to me personally coming up in the second hour, a um, compelling new book that depunks all of the JFK conspiracy theories. Uh, the book is called uh, On the Trail of Delusion. Author Fred Litwin will share his findings with us. But uh, first, we're going to take a deep breath and talk about breath um, and the power, fragility, and future of our extraordinary lungs as outlined in a new book called Breathtaking by Dr. Michael Stephen. He joins me by phone. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, let's talk a little bit about this. What what prompted you to want to put together a book that literally, um, section by section, looks at the past, present, and future of lungs and, and how we interact with the world because of our lungs? So the main reason I wanted to do it is because I've dedicated my life to restoring the breath in people, and it's a message that I want to get out there. Um, I've been fascinated with lung medicine and intensive care unit medicine since I was a medical student in the late 1990s. Um, And to me, it's a fascinating topic, and I thought people would really enjoy it. I also saw something very important here 
um, that our breath has been ignored recently in this country. And it's gone on, you know, for over 100 years. And we're seeing the effects of it now. COVID is just the tip of the iceberg that we've been ignoring lung health for a long time. Um, pollution, uh, increase in lung diseases in the last 50 years. Um, so there's a crisis of the breath. And we obviously see it with COVID approaching. We're going to approach 500,000 deaths in this country. So I don't need to convince anybody of that. Right. And and I didn't mention when I introduced you, uh, Michael, that um, uh, Dr. Stephen is an associate professor at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. And you've worked on the front line of COVID caring for uh, COVID-19 patients. Um, so you've seen it up close. Um Let's let's talk about ignoring the lungs. Um, you know, we hear people talk all the time about, well, that just took my breath away. <laughs> and, and you're in the business right. of putting breath back. What are some of the things that are actually taking our breath away? So, great question. You know, since 1980, there's been an increase in lower respiratory tract diseases by 30%, and every other major category of disease, cardiovascular disease, cancer deaths, um, deaths from stroke have, have declined. So if all the numbers are going down, except one line is going up. And, you know, there are a number of threats to our breath. And, you know, nicotine is one. Um, lung cancer kills more in this country than the next three cancers combined. Um, there's pollution issues and global warming issues, and they all tie in together. They feed off of each other. So since 2017, the American Lung Association has noted that in 2017, 38% of Americans were exposed to poor air quality, and that's up to 45% of Americans or 150 million people. Um, so, you know, we can look around the country and say it's a problem of the whole world, but it's now coming home to roost here in the United States, and we have to take um, issues related to our atmosphere, to our breath, much more seriously. Um, and we see that in all the statistics. And as I mentioned, COVID is just the tip of the iceberg. You, you know, people still aren't buying into wearing masks. They're still not buying into the vaccine. This air is the shared communal space that we need to take more seriously. Is Would you call for continuing mask use after COVID-19 uh, is eradicated if, in fact, it becomes eradicated? So that's a big if. I think, you know, COVID's going to be with us for a long time. But I think we're going to get to a place where, you know, hopefully masks are not needed. Um, but I would, you know, even before COVID, you know, if you know, we had Asian an Asian neighbor, Asian neighbor family, and when there were high pollution levels, um, when there was high allergy counts in, in those you know, with sensitivities, they would wear a mask. And it makes sense. They had a respect for the atmosphere. When they had a virus, they would wear a mask out. Um, and that's not something we've ever done in this country. And we need to, to think about that in the future, um, having respect for the atmosphere, having respect for each other. Um, if it's a cold air day out and cold irritates your lungs, that would be a day to wear a mask to help you warm the air. So, there are certainly going to be instances in the future, say COVID is eradicated, where masks are going to be very helpful. We've seen this tremendous decline in influenza cases in this country, and I think it's because of the masks and the isolation, so it can have a lot of benefits. Michael, you said uh, a couple minutes ago, you mentioned uh, 
nicotine as being one of the things that's most harmful to the lungs and, and of course, uh, its correlation uh, to uh, lung cancer. And, and it raised a question in my mind um, about smoking cigarettes versus vaping. And, by the way, I'm asking for a friend. Oh, sure. Um, so, I, yeah, right. Um, you know, so the issue I have with vaping, and I don't think anybody should inhale, be inhaling anything into their lungs other than pure, clean air. Um, and there's plenty of other nicotine delivery systems that I would embrace. Um, is our vaping, some vaping products may be safe, maybe, but I would not suggest inhaling anything into your lungs other than clean air or inhaled medicines, you know, for asthmatics or something as you need them. There was certainly a big crisis, the e-volley crisis, the electronic cigarette lung injury crisis, and that killed um, dozens of, of young kids and um, harmed hundreds and hundreds of people's lungs. People probably heard about this in 2019. Yeah. It's still going on today. These products are completely unregulated. I would stay away from them. Think about other nicotine replacement products, the patch, the gum, the lozenge, if you need help, help getting off nicotine. There's much safer ways to do it. Um, let me ask this. You, you um, said something else that, that, oh, I know what it was. You, you were talking about uh, not inhaling anything into the lungs except good, clean air. And the first thing I thought of is where do you go for that? Yeah, right. Um, so I would <laughs> and I don't say, mean to be your, facetious, Michael. I, yeah. you know. It's something we need to investigate as a country and come up with a plan um, and educate people on. Answer that very question. It's very important. And we, we don't have great answers for everybody. Um, when you open up your smartphone weather app, so there's a pollution meter on that now, most likely. There is on, on my phone. Um, so I monitor that. And if it's high pollution day where I am, Philadelphia is not known for the best air quality in the country, um, then I'm going to be wearing a mask outside. I'm not going to be exercising outside. So that's step one. You have to analyze your indoor environment for allergens. Get checked, see if there's any radon on, in your house. Um, when you're cooking, there needs to be a good ventilation system. Um, certainly staying away from nicotine and other pollution. And then we have to address climate change, warming of the environment, um, the heat, the wildfires, it all goes together. So there's a lot of small things you can do in your home. Make sure your air is clean at the work. Make, if you are exposed to dust at work, you need an appropriate masks. So we need to just have a blueprint for everybody to answer that question from the very small to the very large. Is temperature... And I talk about this in, in my book. I go over all of this in my book. I do a very deep dive into this book, why this needs to be done. And... I, I believe it gives you a bigger appreciation for exactly that issue. Is um, temperature a factor, um, air temperature inside, outside, uh, in keeping lungs healthy? It varies person to person. Um, so some people we see in asthmatics, they're often um, irritated by cold, dry air. Um, so like we mentioned, that may be time to wear a mask in the winter or not spend a lot of time outside. That's a rough time. Um, humidity, I would touch on. Um, so in the house, um, you know, in optimal humidity is between about 30 and 50%. Um, and so if you find, you know, things get very dry in the winter, you may need a humidifier. And in the summer, very humid days, you want to keep the windows closed, keep allergens out, 
and you may need a dehumidifier based on your level of sensitivity. So I believe in kind of personalizing medicine. So when I see a patient, I, I personalize. And so for issues of temperature and humidity, I like to personalize for people too. If you don't have a big dry air sensitivity, then, then maybe you don't need to be so strict with that 30 to 50% rule. Um, but if you do, um, then that's a time to, to attack that. You mentioned that uh, you think COVID-19 is going to be with us for a while, um, or, or at least certainly some variations of it. What, what do you mean by a while? When this first happened, I, I looked by comparison to the uh, uh, Spanish flu epidemic in 1918 and, and 1718, mm-hmm. and it, um, it, it seemed to, to hang around for about two or three years. Is, is that what you're talking about, or are you talking about this is going to be something recurring like we have flu every year? Yeah, it, it's, it's totally unknown right now. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen with these new variants. There's some scary variants coming out of the UK, South Africa, and Brazil. Um, you know, the, the teaching that we like to say is, you know, these viruses, it's in their best interest to adapt to us and become gentler um, and, you know, find a way to kind of work with us in symbiosis. Um, but we don't know that's going to happen. We just have no idea. We don't have any idea if the antibodies that we're producing now with vaccines are going to be of any good in a year. Um, is the virus going to mutate away from from that from that protein spike and and render the antibodies we have now useless? I'm hopeful not. Um, so we have no idea how it's going to mutate. We have no idea how effective these antibodies we have are going to be. We have no idea how long these antibodies we have are going to last in people with both natural immunity and immunity um, from from this. So it's just completely unknown. Um, my suspicion is that, you know, like the other coronaviruses, um, a few of them, you know, who that emerged, you know, in the last 200 years, some, of, some are still with us. Um, a couple, SARS-1 has pretty much died out. Um, MERS is still around a little bit. Um, so it could go in any number of directions right now. I think we need to put blinders on. We need to get everybody vaccinated very quickly. That would minimize um, spread. It would minimize mutations. Um, and we need to do masks. So we just need to really dig in and focus on the present. Um, and that's going to make the future all that much better in terms of mutants that could potentially arise. Um, I need to uh, take a short break here, um, Michael. Can we come back and, and talk some more after the break? Absolutely. It would be a pleasure. Great. My guest is Dr. Michael Stephen, and uh, he has a new book called Breathtaking. And we're going to talk some more about uh, breath and lung health and uh and the like, and COVID-19, I suppose. Uh, When we return, if you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more right after this. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is uh, an associate professor at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia and the author of a new book called Breathtaking, The Power, Fragility, and Future of Our Extraordinary Lungs. He is Dr. Michael Stephen, and he joins me by phone. Michael, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through that. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tom. Um, just before the break, we were starting to talk a little bit about COVID-19 and some of the uh, kind of scary variants from Brazil and the UK and South Africa and so on. Um, and that made me wonder, and I've been wondering, um, with the news of these variants, uh, how how do these variants evolve? I've always assumed that any evolution in a, a, a virus or uh, whatever was building up and um, uh, the disease itself building up an immunity to um, vaccination. Um, yeah. But it hasn't, the paths haven't crossed that much. Um, what, what goes on there that causes uh, flu viruses and other things to mutate? So great question. Um, so a virus, every time it passes through a human being, it will, um, the coronavirus every time, and I had COVID, so it passed through me, it changes. So there are mutations that occur just randomly and naturally. And so every, you know, this virus has actually mutated, you know, hundreds of millions of times. Um, it passed through a single person, and it'll be somewhat unique. And that's sort of how you're able to trace, you know, okay, so the New York um, coronavirus started from something in Europe because they genotype these viruses. They get a complete alphabet of exactly each one it is, and they can see exactly where it came from because it mutates at every single stop, every single person. Um, whether these mutations are important to the virus is, is much rarer. And what we'll see happen in these, um, likely, you know, in a lot of these more deadly infections is and mutations is that it will infect somebody who's immune compromised, say somebody on steroids or somebody with cancer, and that person is not able to fight and clear that infection norm as normally as a healthy person or a relatively healthy person, and that gives that virus more time to replicate within that host and to undergo um, changes that will be potentially beneficial to it, more infectious. Um, better at infecting cells, and, and that'll be um, sort of, you know, uh, you know, in a Darwinian-type way uh, selected out. Um, so we have to be um, very careful with these immunocompromised patients because I think that's where most of the damage is done in terms of these very high rates of infection and, and turnover of virus and mutations. Um, influenza is quite a different story. It has a number of, you know, the coronavirus is is, is just what we call a, a dumb cold virus, or it should be at least. It's just a single piece. It's an RNA virus. It doesn't sort of rearrange, whereas influenza, we have to change our vaccine every year because this thing has sort of, you know, six or seven pieces that are very easily interchanged, and it, it, it mixes and it matches and it talks to each other. Um, so influenza is, is a much more dangerous virus in terms of mutations. The coronavirus, I think, is just so widespread right now. It's hanging out in immunocompromised patients, and that's causing the majority of our problem right now. You know, the name COVID-19 has uh, <laughs> had me wondering, is, is that um, a way of putting together 
the words coronavirus and D19? Yeah, I, you know, the, the 2019 is when we think it emerged. It probably emerged earlier. You know, they have sort of aerial photo, photos of hospitals in Wuhan, and there was a big uptick in August, and there was also a big uptick in, in Google searches for, you know, I don't feel well, I'm fatigued in out of out of Wuhan area in August. So I think it emerged probably earlier in 2019. But but yeah, 2019 coronavirus disease 2019 is is, is sort of what it says. Oh, um, okay. So it's it's so the yeah. year because I, I wondered what happened yeah. to you know COVID 18. <laughs> there wasn't one, fortunately. There was a there was a coronavirus um, in you know 2002 that was SARS one and that emerged. Um, you know, I think there's a total of seven coronaviruses now that have jumped from animals to humans, and they've all jumped in the last couple hundred years. Um, so it's domestication of animals. It's us being in these close proximity of animals that these coronaviruses have have jumped to us. And all seven strains that we've seen over the last couple hundred years, a bunch of them, you know, emerged in the last 20 years because of our, you know, close proximity to animals and, and our very urban lifestyle. Um, and that's kind of, you know, they don't normally infect humans. You know, they're in bats, they're in uh, cows, they're in cats. Um, but, but recently, the past couple hundred years is the first time we've, we've dealt with these viruses. And are they, are they transmitted? Um, you know, we, we think of COVID-19 as being airborne. Is that how they're transmitting from animals to humans typically? Um, I think. Two, two methods in there, and I talk about this in my book. I go over sort of very specific, you know, transmission data and how we figured this out. So I do a deep dive on this in my book. Um, and, you know, probably some of this is droplet. So there's a difference sort of between droplet and airborne. Um, droplet uh. is, you know, tradi- traditionally influenza, and we, we think, you know, the six-foot rule, and you don't need a very tight mask. You just need sort of the, a traditional kind of loop um, surgical mask to stay away from it. Um, and then things like t- tuberculosis, where you absolutely need an N95 or are more airborne, and they stay in the air and they kind of dry out, but they're able to stay airborne for hours potentially. You know, the feeling on COVID-19 was that it was mostly droplet, right? That it was stay six feet, just wear a regular mask. But, you know, data has emerged that there is probably some level of airborne um, effect that you're getting from this, especially if somebody sneezes or coughs or, you know, there's variability in temperature and humidity that could influence this, um, which is why some people are saying, you know, we should maybe be wearing N95 masks now in certain situations. Um, so it's very hard to study this, and I talk a lot about it in my book, um, but but for now, um, you know, uh, a multi-layer mask um, probably outdoors is okay, indoors if it's high risk, um, you may want to be wearing an N95 mask and, and a surgical mask on top of that. That's been proposed um, more recently. And most of the transmission is that way. There's also some gut transmission that occurs with coronaviruses. It's, you know, it's been known to infect the GI tract. A lot of people are having these diarrheal illnesses. So there's also potential for some GI spread in terms of, you know, and that's kind of a touch oral fecal route that we would call. But yeah, most of the, it's a respiratory illness. And the um, in in your book, 
uh, breathtaking the power, fragility, and future of our extraordinary lungs. I mentioned that you've broken it into uh, four sections, uh, but, but the first three is sort of a past, then present, and then future. Um, what is significant to know about lungs of long ago? So we've had this, you know, very intense relationship with our lungs for thousands of years. Um, you know, the Buddha in India, you know, 2,500 years ago recognized that the only path to nirvana is through a study of the breath. In in the um, Old Testament, um, you know, it's it's embodied in this concept of ruach. In the New Testament, it's the Holy Spirit where Jesus breathed on his disciples, giving them life. Um, so we've 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 known about the power of the breath, the importance of the breath for thousands of years. Um, it's only recently we haven't taken it seriously enough. You know, breath is life. When a baby comes into this world, takes its first breath, then we recognize it as as something very healthy. Um, we give we give the baby a name, and and it joins humanity. At the end of life, the exhalation of the final breath. That's the end of life, and in between, we are all utilizing this this atmospheric space. Um, and I do a deep dive on this in in my book, The Importance of the Breath, that that goes back thousands of years, and in pretty much every single culture. And and then you um, have have mentioned uh, as we've been talking, and you talk about it in the book that um, that we're somehow ignoring lung health. Um, is is that just simply that there are things going on that are bad for us that we're not paying enough attention to? Is is that what you mean? I think so. Um, you know, it hasn't been necessarily willful. It's just, it's caught up to us to a tremendous amount um, in terms of, of climate change, in terms of these wildfires. There were people in California who couldn't go outside of their house last summer for months. And and so when you're hit with it um, personally, um, then then you know it's real. Um, so we've we've been producing a lot of energy. We've been doing a lot of things to our atmosphere, and there's been tremendous economic advantages to it. So we have to recognize that. Um, but we also have to recognize now that the last 50 years um, have have shown a dramatic decline in lung health, both in this country and throughout the world. And we've got to change what we're doing. We have to recognize there's a very serious threat to our breath. You know, the, the media has given the impression during COVID-19 that if somebody uh, is hospitalized with COVID-19, if, if it gets to the point where they have to have a ventilator, they're probably not coming out of the hospital. Um, is, is that a fair representation? I wouldn't, I wouldn't couch it in those terms at all. Um, but then, but do you understand how somebody might get yeah. that impression? Because oh yeah, you yeah, know, no, it's out there, and people people have been saying things. Um, ventilators a death sentence. I always I always approach it with tremendous hope, and if you need a ventilator, you need one, um, and we put you on it because you can't do the work of breathing yourself. And you know, mortalities on ventilators, you know, have been clocking around you know thirty to forty percent. Um, so if you end up on a ventilator. You're fighting for your life. There's no question about it. But we have two good medicines now, dexamethasone and remdesivir. It is not a death sentence. Um, the hospitals in this country are amazing. The people 
who work in these hospitals have been completely fearless. I have not seen a schedule in my hospital at Jefferson University in Philadelphia go unfilled, um, and there's great personal risk. So if you need a ventilator, you get placed on a ventilator, you are fighting for your life, but there is a good chance that you will come out of it, and, and, and I think in most hospitals, um, the vast majority of hospitals in this country, if not 99.9%, you are going to get the best care in the world. You're going to get the best medicines. We know so much more about this disease than we did eight months ago. Um, we have good medicines. We know what we're doing with the ventilator now. I would just put faith in your medical team, put faith in your family, um, and we're going to do our best to get you through it. And I, I mentioned that you put the book in, in three well, four different sections, but that the first three were past, present, and future. What does the future of lung health look like? What should it look like? And what should we be doing now to get there? So there's very specific threats to the breath that we need to address very aggressively. Um, we still have 32 million smokers, tobacco smokers in this country, and we need to get them the help um, to get off um, cigarettes or, and now we see the vaping. So vaping's going up and has wiping out a lot of our progress there. Um, we need to talk about pollution more. We have to talk about, you know, clean energy production. It's not going to happen overnight, but we need to do it in an appropriate way that, that where people don't lose jobs, right? So we can do this. Um, so there are very specific threats to the breath. The virus um, and virus control is another huge issue. Um, so those those are specific things that that we need to tackle, and we can can tackle. And we knew they we know they do good. Um, so we studied. I mentioned a study in my book, and I mentioned a bunch of others. I'll mention just tell you one here in Los Angeles. They followed lung function in children six to ten in three different groups. You know, ninety to ninety five, ninety five to two thousand, and the next five years, and the air got cleaner, and the kids who were able to enjoy that cleaner air had bigger lung function. Um, you know, by the time they were done with the study. Um, and and so, you know, there's just going to be tremendous benefits to those kids' lives in terms of, of dementia issues, in terms of osteoporosis, in terms of cardiovascular disease. So we know what we need to do. We know that if we do it, it's going to work. Um, on a much smaller level, I'll touch on this briefly, we have to understand the science of the lungs and, it's, and the interaction of our immune system and the air. And once we understand that, I think we're going to understand a lot more about diseases that we don't have a lot of answers for, like pulmonary fibrosis, like sarcoidosis, like what's going on with this huge increase in our asthma rate that I talk a lot about in my book. And um, what exactly causes asthma? So we have some ideas. Um, so asthma rates in 1980 in this country were about 3%, and now they're over 8%. So something has changed in our atmosphere, and there's very clearly an allergic component to a lot of people's asthma. So increased allergies in the air now with increased vegetation from increased CO2. So our plants, like the extra carbon dioxide, there's more vegetation, 20% more vegetation um, on the globe than, than, you know, a few decades ago, sort of a global greening effect. So there's a lot more allergies. The air is hotter now. It's more humid. Um, the wildfires, so I think that's all triggering sort of allergic asthma. It's an, it's an allergy of the lungs. So we, can, we know an allergy of the skin, right? We see swelling. Sure. Um, we put creams on it. And then it's for the lungs. Asthma is an allergy in the lungs for a lot of people. Um, but, but we have to understand at a deeper level 
why we've seen this massive increase in asthma over the past few decades. It's the number one reason for emergency room visits for kids. It's the number one chronic condition for kids that, that leads to emergency room visits. Um, and I talk about very specific examples and, and what we need to do to attack that. The U.S. has um, made tremendous strides, as you pointed out, over the last uh, eight months to a year in learning about COVID-19 and developing vaccines against COVID-19. Um, is, is it somewhat miraculous because of this, this warp speed uh, uh, attitude um, from, uh, from the White House and from various uh, uh, healthcare care uh, professionals and researchers? Or are we getting better at doing these things in general? We, we touched on, uh, you know, redoing vaccines for flu every year. Are, are we getting quicker and better? Do we have better facilities for addressing these things? Well, I think the effort that's been put into making a vaccine has been nothing short of incredible to get a large phase three trial done um, and, you know, phase one, phase two and phase three trial done and a vaccine out to the people is nothing less than miraculous. And it speaks to um, our folks at the CDC, at the NIH, all of the investigators throughout the the country and the world who have recruited these patients, all the patients who participated in this clinical trial. It's just been an incredible effort and without precedent, just completely without precedent. And I've been so impressed. And to get a result of, you know, 95% um, protection from, from these new, uh, a vaccine has never been made from mRNA. It's a very unique vaccine. And to do this so quickly and to get such an amazing result um, is truly extraordinary. Um, and, you know, the scientists and, you know, politicians who, who funded this and, and everybody just deserves huge credit for it. Um, and, you know, so, so we, there are a lot of lessons learned there and, and I've been very impressed with, with, with the vaccine results to, to achieve that and no hospitalization. So even though, you know, we say, talk about 95% effectiveness with the vaccine and the 5% of people who maybe did get it, and had the vaccine, they didn't end up in the hospital. I think, you know, there were basically zero hospitalizations. So an absolutely incredible result. That That is incredible. Um, the, as moving forward, um, I lost my train of thought, Michael, pardon me. Um, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about obviously oh i remember what i was going to ask um before i before i get to the the follow-up um who are you hoping will get the messages from your book more uh john q public or regulators well i i want to reach out to the public i want to reach out to the american people um i want to you know, make them understand um, this communal space that the lungs are, you know, the one organ kind of constantly exposed to the atmosphere, that the atmosphere is something communal. We have to understand that the breath is, is something more akin to medicine than, than anything, and we have to have more respect for it, you know, res general respect for each other. Um, and that's the main message that I'd like to get. You know, I've dedicated my life to 
to restoring the breath, and it's been an incredible passion of mine. Um, and I encourage people to tell their own stories of their breath, and they can email me their stories of their breath. I would love to hear them because stories are so powerful, and that's how we learn. And, you know, living with a compromised breath, I had a COVID patient tell me recently, you know, Doc, I was in a place where I felt nobody could help me. Um, and I want to get those stories out there. So, so we spread the word about we have to take care of our air. We have to take care of each other. Well, the name of the book is Breathtaking, The Power, Fragility, and Future of Our Extraordinary Lungs by Dr. Michael J. Stephen. And, uh, Michael, I always give guests an opportunity to let people know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future, and about the book. Um, do you have a website? Absolutely, yeah. M-J-S-Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R. Uh, dot com and my emails there and I'd uh, love to hear people's stories uh, stories of the breath. Well, Michael, thank you so much for uh, sharing this time with me this morning. Any any final thoughts uh, before we sign off? No, I you know I think the best thing with the COVID is just for us to dig in and just crush this. I think we we have great people in this country. Uh, we have great scientists, hospitals, doctors, um, and people have just worked incredibly hard. And we're going to get there. I feel quite confident. Do you, do you have any sense for how long? I think, you know, you know, with getting the vaccine out there, I think we're going to see tremendous strides in the next three to four months. And we have to see where we stand with these mutations and what goes on with it. Keep a very close eye. But I'm very, very hopeful um, that by summer things will look very different. Well, I, I hope so. I uh <laughs> I'm getting kind of tired of my own company. <laughs> yeah, no, people are very frustrated. It's been hard on mental health on everybody. Um, but I feel like there's a light here, and we just have to take advantage of it. All right. Well, Michael, thanks so much again, and um, best of luck, uh, and keep up the good work. Thanks so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Take care. That was uh, Michael J. Stephen, M.D. He is uh, an associate professor at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. He's also the director of the Adult Cystic Fibrosis Center. And his book, uh, Breathtaking, The Power, Fragility, and Future of Our Extraordinary Lungs, just came out uh, this month. And here's, here's what our own Dr. Uh, Sanjay Gupta said about the book. Uh, this richly detailed engrossing work will have you appreciating the majesty of one of our most vital organs. COVID-19 has taught us all how vulnerable our lungs are, and the more we know about them, the better we can protect them. Intimately written with the authority of a pulmonologist, but the lyricism of a captivating narrator. Breathtaking reveals surprising notes about our origins, collective human experience, and future on this planet. We're going to take a short break, but we've got some interesting stuff coming up ahead. I'm uh, fascinated by conspiracy theories uh, surrounding the uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy, and um, we're going to talk with uh, an author who's uh, written a book called On the Trail of Delusion. Fred Litwin uh, debunks the 
uh, various conspiracy theories in his book, and we're going to talk with him coming up in the next hour. But if you're uh, listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Michigan. 
Your trip begins at michigan.org. Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickerson. <laughs> After seven years of cycloid insomnia, or slugger's disease, John Bickerson had finally consented to allow Dr. Hershey to relieve his condition. In room 113 at the General Hospital, Mrs. Bickerson watches anxiously as a surgical nurse ministers to poor John, who is suffering an attack the night before the operation. Listen. Oh, it's like being married to a steam shovel nurse. Cough's normal. Enjoy yourself, dear. (sighs) Dr. Hershey's waiting for you in the corridor, Mrs. Bickerson. Oh, hello, doctor. Is he resting? I gave him a sedative. That'll quiet him down. Well, he isn't very quiet. Oh, well, actually, I could have done the operation in my office. It's so trivial. I won't be in surgery over 15 minutes, and there's absolutely no danger whatsoever. Will it hurt him? Not the slightest. All we do is take a stitch in his palate and shorten his uvula. I hate to bring this up now, Dr. Hershey, but how much will it cost? The fee will be $50 with the anesthetic. How much is it without the anesthetic? (laughs) I would say about $40. Would there be any discomfort if he didn't have an anesthetic? Not for me, there wouldn't. I wouldn't advise the operation without it. And you're sure he'll be cured when you're through? Oh, practically certain. Well, it's almost midnight now. I'll do his case first thing about seven. He just needs a good night's rest. Well, I'll just stay a little longer. Good night. Call the floor nurse if you need anything. Oh, I will. I hope that pill's quieted him down. I'm sure that isn't doing him any good. John! John, wake up! What? What's the matter, Blanche? Uh, what's the matter, huh? I put the cat out, I locked the windows, I left a note for the milkman, and I and I hung up... John, uh... we're in the hospital. What for? Is somebody sick? No, you're going to have an operation. Dr. Hershey's going to shorten your uvula in the morning. Well, then what did you wake me up now for? Well, you were snoring, and I was afraid you'd wear it off before you got a chance to operate. You've been snoring steadily for three hours. Don't you suppose I want to sleep, too? You're not sleeping here, are you? Yes, I am. It costs another $5 to put another cart in the room. I... And I intend to use it. I can't get one night's sleep. Where's my Not even in the hospital. I don't understand why you have to have an operation to cure your snoring. I didn't want it. You've been working on me for seven years to do this. I'm beginning to think it was a waste of money. I could have used that $40. I'm still walking around in a short dress. What are you going on about? Tomorrow I'll be walking around with a short uvula. Don't be so crabby. I'm not crabby. I'm just sleepy. Why don't you stop fiddling with that mirror and put out the lights? I have 
to get undressed, don't I? Well, take your dress off. Why are you plucking your eyebrows at this time of night? I'm not plucking my eyebrows. I'm taking off my false eyelashes. False eyelashes? I didn't even know you had bald eyelids. My eyelids are not bald. It's just that my lashes are short, and they don't bring out my eyes. Lots of women use false eyelashes. Well, throw them away. You don't need anything to bring out your eyes. Really? Really. I'm satisfied with the way they bulge now. What kind of a remark is that? Oh, hurry up, Blanche. I'm groggy. Blanche, what on earth are you taking out of your hair? It's a rat. A what? A roll of false hair. I have to wear it for the new hairstyles. My own hair is too thin with a pompadour. Oh, darn it, I can't get out of this dress. Blanche, what are those things? Haven't you ever seen shoulder pads before? Oh, I've never heard of such a thing. Your eyelashes are on the dresser, your hair is in the drawer, and your shoulders are on the chairs. What about it? That's you all over, Blanche. No one can think of more ways to spend money. Are you ready for bed now? Yes, dear. I'm ready for bed. Shall I crank yours up a little? No, put out the lights. Oh, I wanted to glance at the paper first. You go ahead and go to sleep. I can't sleep with the lights on. I left my sleep shade at home. Well, I won't be a minute. No one would believe this. In six hours, they're going to carve me to pieces. I'm supposed to rest, and here I'm... Shh! I can't concentrate with you mumbling. (laughs) There's certainly a lot of activity in Washington. What's all this tax reduction talk? Talk. Listen to what's... Blanche, I read the paper, every word of it. Read it to yourself. Don't be so disagreeable. Dr. Hershey told me to keep you occupied so you wouldn't think about the operation. All I'm thinking about is sleep. Oh, that's a good boy. You mustn't get nervous. No. I see the stock market is going up. That's fine. We have some stock, haven't we? Didn't you get some stock last year? Ten shares. Kentucky Salt Petermann's preferred stock. My brother got you in on the ground floor, didn't he? Where is that now? In the ground. I can't even find it listed on the stock page. Look in the help wanted column. Are you getting relaxed, dear? No, now I'm starting to get nervous. I'm worried about you, John. If anything happened to you on the operating table, it would all be my fault. So, you know what I think? We'll, uh, sneak out, huh? No. I think you should make out a will. Make out a will? I thought you were worried about me. Well, you don't want to leave me at the mercies of all those grasping relatives of yours, do you? The minute you drop dead, they'll... Don't talk like that. Can't you say pass on or something like that? Well, you always say drop dead. That's only when I'm talking to your brother. You could be a little more delicate when you're discussing wills. Why? Because you make it sound like I'm going to go any minute. Well, they don't give you two weeks' notice, you know. Every man should make out a will. Okay, I'll make it out tomorrow. You say it, but you won't do it. Get up now. Do it now. What? Go on, get up, and make out a will. Well, you're out of your mind. In the first place, a will isn't legal unless you have two witnesses. And in second place, I haven't got anything to leave in the first place. Nobody is going to take anything, and I don't need a will. You are the most stubborn man that ever lived, John. Why? Why am I stubborn? It's the hardest thing in the world to make you admit I'm right when you know I'm wrong. There's a woman's logic for you. Suppose I do make out a will, and nobody can touch anything besides you. Okay, so now... 
You've got it all, my worldly goods. First thing you know, you'll get over your grief. Marry a guy without a dollar to his name like that broken-down snore specialist, Dr. Hershey. Oh, I'm not going to marry anybody. He'll give up his practice, take you for every penny, my hard-earned money. He'll drive around my brand-new car, drink my bourbon, (laughs) loaf around like the French, never do a day's work. Why don't you make the bum get a job, Blanche? And then screaming like that up and go to sleep go to sleep she tells me i'm a nervous wreck she practically walks me into a funeral mary's a doctor behind my back now she tells me to go to sleep i'll never sleep another wink as long as i john the telephone the telephone answer it no who who the dickens is calling Who moved the phone, Blanche? What'd you get up for? It's right on the night table beside your bed. I thought I was, uh... Hello? Mrs. Renesis, this is your maternity nurse. You can get ready now. I'm bringing your baby in. What? Blanche, how long have I been here? Isn't he 413? I don't know what this is, but I'm not feeding any babies. A way to run a hospital. It's just a mistake, John. No, I shouldn't have fallen for this operation deal. I could be so comfortable at home in my own bed. One of us should have stayed there. What for? How do you know a prowler won't break in? I left a whole bottle of bourbon on the dresser. Nobody will break in. The turkey would gobble and scare him away. The turkey would gobble? I can just see... Turkey? What turkey? Well, I was going to surprise you. I won a turkey in a raffle, John. You've got a live turkey running around the house? He isn't running around. I've got him tied to your bed. On my bed? What'd you do that for? I'll have the whole thing full of feathers. What'll we do with a live turkey? Well, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, John, and I thought you'd murder him for dinner. I'm not going to murder any turkeys. But if he lays a beak on my bourbon, I'll chop his head off. Blanche, you're the most impossible woman that ever lived. Oh, I'm sorry, John. I guess everything I do is wrong. I'll go home and put the turkey out. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Never mind. I didn't mean to holler. Let's go to sleep so I can feel good for the operation. I don't think I want you to have it. What's the least I can do for you? Kept you awake all these years with my snoring, and when Dr. Hershey gets through with me, I'll be as quiet as a mouse. But if you stop snoring... I'll never wake you up, will I? No. And if I don't wake you up, we won't fight, will we? That's right. Well, that settles it. I'm not going to let him operate, John. Why not? It's the only chance I get to talk to you. Come on, we're going home. (sighs) I give up. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots, get off my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! 